Welcome to NFCC's Guide Through the Seasons of Mental Wellness. I'm your host, Anna Crane, a licensed social worker and outreach counselor at Nick Finnegan Counseling Center here in Houston, Texas. I'm so glad for you to join us for season three, where we talk about all things healing. Let's get into today's episode. Amanda Armbruster is a licensed professional counselor and the founder of Take a Break Tots. She holds an undergraduate degree from the University of Texas at Austin and a master's of education in counseling from the University of Houston. For the last decade, Amanda has worked with young children and their families as a teacher, graduate student, LPC, and now in her own home as a wife and mom of two. Amanda started Take a Break Tots to bring information about child development, behavior, discipline, and social-emotional intervention from the clinical world to the average household and classroom. I'm so excited to talk to her today about how parents navigate the many emotions that come with the child's mental health diagnosis. Welcome, Amanda. Let's start by telling our listeners a little bit about you. Yeah. So my name is Amanda Armbruster. I am a Houston native, currently transplanted out to West Texas in Midland. Born and raised in Houston. Love Houston and love Nick Finnegan Counseling Center and all the things that y'all are doing. So thank you for having me, first of all. I am a licensed professional counselor, and that basically means I have a master's in counseling and master's degree in counseling, and I have worked a ton of hours to be licensed by the state of Texas <laughs> as a therapist. I have dedicated my career to working with young children, ages like, I say two to 10, but I've seen toddlers. So zero to 10, I guess. And I worked for the most amazing psychologist, Dr. Michelle Forrester. She's out in Houston out at Bunker Hill and I-10. And we did individual and group therapy there for young kids with all kinds of diagnoses or maybe just life circumstances that didn't really warrant a diagnosis, but just challenging stuff. Kids have a hard time. So we did that beautiful work and I re- I started Take a Break Tots, my business, in 2019 after my son was born because I just felt this call to bring the clinical information that we were, this beautiful information we were sharing with parents of psychoeducation, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, to the average household because we just aren't taught child development. People don't understand why our kids behave the way they do. And I wanted to shed light on that and give them more appropriate interventions so that we're not just stuck in this cycle of timeouts and spanking and getting frustrated and yelling at our kids. You know, there is a way to discipline that feels good for everybody and that actually will work. So that's why I started that. And I've been doing that for four years. Zooms are my life. And I've started a practice (laughs) here in Midland. So I see people in person. Yeah. And I just love to do what I do because parents need guidance that is manageable, manageable and rooted in the research, rooted in true and valid information. I think there are all kinds of Instagrams. There are all kinds of books and things, and it's just too much. So I kind of help parents navigate what it all means and what's going to work specifically for your family and your child. Because yes, and I feel like that's so I mean, I've loved it. And even, you know, before being a parent, I I loved listening to you talk and as an educator, right, like working in schools and knowing, okay, our typical 
discipline system doesn't work for a lot of kids. And it definitely isn't working for some of our kids who are struggling with like what you were saying. So I'm, I'm so excited to dive in today because I feel like there's so much that happens once our kids are struggling as parents. And I feel like you get overwhelmed really easily. And so it's really hard to manage sometimes all of your own emotions or what's going on when you're, when you're feeling like you're trying to parent a kid who feels quote unquote hard, you know? Mm -hmm. So how in your practice as an LPC, have you seen families manage seeking help for their kiddo? Um, And also like managing their own understanding and reaction to once their child does receive a mental health diagnosis or just in general is, you know, kind of like what you're saying is really struggling with that, a change or just a moment in time that they're feeling like it's, they're going through it and it's hard. Yeah. And I think, like you said, I work with teachers in schools too. I've done, I do observations and, and, and coaching through all that too. So yeah, because kids are hard everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> they can be. Discipline yeah. needs to happen everywhere, and both domains need to be on the same page in order to effectively help the child. So, in my practice, like watching parents seek help, you know, I'm first. I try to commend them on their bravery and their dedication yes. and love for their child because it's hard to ask for help. There's still so much stigma around mental health, and again, that's why I started to take a break. Tots because you know, oftentimes people are being referred to a psychologist and like they avoid that because that, it sounds so scary and overwhelming, but if they yes. can come talk to me and I can explain what the next step may need to look like, or if I can offer help in a way, because sometimes it's not necessarily, we got to go all the way and get an evaluation. Sometimes it's like, you just need to understand what this behavior is trying to tell you and how to manage it at home. And so I think the biggest struggle for parents, once we get there is that it's up to them to make a change. It's not that the child's going to do the changing. And I think that's probably the most difficult part because for most parents, it's that I have to change. I am the adult. I have the fully developed brain. I am the responsible party. My child is just being who they are and living in the here and now. And so we do a lot of educating around that, that it's up to you to adapt. And I think what scares parents about like positive parenting and hearing that is it initially it's like, so I'm just going to let them run amok. It's like, no, no, no. You're going to meet them where they are and right. guide them toward your goal in a way that works for them. Now, you yes. can have house rules and family plans and get there, but we're not going to hammer it into the kid. We have to help kind of, you know, it just kind of I'm doing a lot of hand motions. You can't see <laughs> the They're fluid. They're very like, fluid hand yeah. motions. Oh, so, yeah. So we all have this path in life and behaviors and life changes and things kind of take us on twists and turns and we just want to get back on track. So house rules apply your goals and your expectations and your hopes and dreams within reason can be met, but we just have to help meet the child where they are because our kids aren't born these little blobs that we just mold. They come out with their own personalities and their own temperaments and, and their stuff. And so we have to meet them where they are and teach them the way that will work for them, which we'll get into when we talk about diagnoses more in depth. It's like, it just helps us understand and we have to find out who they are. So that's been my greatest joy in helping parents is just let's, they're the expert on the child. Nobody knows their child better than the parent. We know development. We know psychology. Let's marry those expertise to all get on the right path. Right. And that's, that should be the goal. And I think, experience has helped me so much and being a mom has helped me so much and 
just living it because it's <laughs> life experience is just everything. So helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is so helpful. Yeah. Well, and I, and I love hearing you say that about being the parent is the expert in their own kid. And I think that that can sometimes feel like that's something I say in almost every intake. I also work with kids. I work with a little bit older kids and I always say to parents like, yeah, your kid might tell me something that they're not going to tell you right now, but that doesn't make you not the expert in their lives. Like you are their parent and I'm a mental health professional and I can support you. And I love the idea of them guiding you. My dad, I have the blessing of having incredible parents and I was diagnosed with ADHD and dyslexia in second grade. And I remember Mm -hmm. asking my dad, really when I decided to go to grad school, I said, you know, y'all were such great parents for me. How did you guys navigate that? And I remember him telling me, look, when you take a kid bowling, you always put the bumpers up. Parents Mm -hmm. are the bumpers. You know, we, we are here to guide you and support you and make sure you get down the, you know, get down the alley in a way that is safe for you, but mm-hmm. it's going to look different for everybody. And like some kids are going to hit the bumpers a lot of times on the way down. Yeah. Pinball all the way down. And other kids are going to not need those bumpers as much. And, and so I love the concept of guiding families to support their kid and meeting their kid where they are. I feel like that's so important. And that kind of, goes into psychoeducation. And just so can you explain what psychoeducation is and why it's important, especially after a family has received any mental health diagnosis or, I mean, honestly, a health diagnosis as well? Yeah. So psychoeducation is just a really scary word for teaching you about (laughs) brain development, psychology, and giving, you know, it's just, it's a big word (laughs) and it's scary. And there's like psychoeducator, like, oh my God, you know, no, it's just, I'm a teacher. Let me just teach you what's happening during those early years of life when so much is developing and what's going on with our kids and why they're having meltdowns and why it's just teaching you what's going on and why and it's about the brain and it's yeah it's a beautiful thing understanding really you know we all need psychoeducation whatever experience you go through in life for your jobs for your if you're raising parents if you're in the corporate world like understanding human development is key Important. to accepting what's going on so if we don't if we don't psychoeducate if we don't teach our parents like here's what's happening here's what ADHD means or here's what you know just three year old being a three-nager is, um, <laughs> then they feel responsible. Then they feel like the child is bad. When we, But when we understand it in terms of science and just that our kids are just meeting milestones appropriately, it takes so much pressure off the situation. Like the, it's not yes. up to us to, to fix everything. I love your dad's metaphor of the bumpers. It's just like, we're going to be there and we're going to catch you and kind of cradle you and push you back toward the middle as best we can, but we don't have to control and fix and go too hard. You know, it's just this off place to land. And yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that, you know, for me, I remember when I was learning about psychoeducation, I was like, well, duh, you know, like, (laughs) because I thought, of course, like when you hear something for the first time, say you're, you know, you're receiving a, a diagnosis for your child and, and you have somebody telling you, okay, your child is meeting all of the qualifications for autism. And mm-hmm. that is a, such a scary thing to receive because mm-hmm. while we have no experience with autism, what does that mean? What do we do now? And and that's really, I feel like, where that psychoeducation is so important, right? It's like, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to help you learn what that right. means and and how 
to then be that, you know, guide for your kid. I feel like that's right. huge. huge. So yeah. when you, you know, when you're starting that psychoeducation with a family and you feel like, okay, this is, this is where, you know, or, or a family receives a diagnosis, where do you feel like they should turn to first? What do you think is like the easiest place for them to go once they've mm-hmm. now heard that maybe from a psychiatrist, okay, your kid has ADHD, here are some meds. Well, what next? You know, what do you, what would you recommend as next? Yeah. You know, I was thinking about as I was preparing this morning and like thinking about, you know, talking about diagnoses and stuff. It's like, I think this, I mean, this starts before we even get to a diagnosis. I mean, think about the road that led to seeking an evaluation and how hard that was, you know, like you said, you were diagnosed in second grade. Like that's typically what happens, but it doesn't mean things were easy for you from preschool until second grade. And so you have your parents who are like, okay. And maybe you have teachers that say, give her some time, let her grow see how she matures, you know, things are fine. It's, you know, she's getting by whatever pediatrician saying, don't worry about it, which is great. But sometimes pediatricians, right. Their job is to help parents feel calm. But at the same time, we brush a lot under the rug and we put it off, put it off. Then you hit second grade. You're struggling academically. It's starting to hit your self-esteem and we got to get help right away. And right. Okay. What do we do? Well, you get on a six to nine month waiting list for some testing you know, and unfortunately, waiting lists are just getting longer and longer, which is a great thing because it means parents are seeking guidance and help and support, which I love, but we need more providers and schools need to up their staffing, you know, all, all the things we can get into, <laughs> but we won't right now. Um, yes. But so before that, you have struggled and now all of a sudden you have, you're jumping through these hoops to get this information and then it's scary. I mean, it's just like, we don't have this information. We barely have any information on typical child development when you become a parent. And so you certainly don't have any information on atypical child development. It's all just really overwhelming. And so I think my first advice to parents, when they do have a formal evaluation and you sit down with a psychologist, I would work with a psychologist. I mean, there are many great providers out there, but I think, especially if you are thinking you need school accommodations, we need a PhD stamp on that typically. Mm -hmm. And so I'd work with a psychologist if you can, wherever you are. And then I would just go home and sit (laughs) and like, give it some space, let your emotions settle, process all of that. Maybe seek, you know, talk to your own therapist if you've got one and just process your emotions around it because you're going to see the information so differently from that place of fear or that place of overwhelm or so we got to get to calm in order to see the information. And unfortunately, when we do get that diagnosis, typically what happens is you get a laundry list of recommendations and it is so overwhelming, so overwhelming. And so take a week, sit, calm yourself, then go take a look at that list of recommendations and highlight the ones that feel doable. Typically we'll recommend a hearing, hearing and vision and from, you know, not just the pediatrician visit, we want you to go and get things act like the more formal, just to rule out all of those physical things that could be getting in the way. We can do those things, right? That's easy. We just knock that off. We check and make sure hearing and vision are great. Uh, I would typically do that before you get the evaluation, just in case anyway, uh, while you're waiting. Um, But those just knock off what you think you can do. And then I'd go back to that psychologist, schedule a follow-up of your follow-up and talk about okay, I've had my week to calm down. We've gotten our vision and hearing screeners. We've done a full physical, physically, things are great. What do you recommend? Our, and 
our first and foremost thing. And so sometimes that they should list their recommendations as what should take the priority, but sometimes you just get a copy and paste email yeah. so, or yeah. list. So who knows? Um, and I would ask them, or if you, you know, what we would see sometimes with Dr. Forster's office, when we would give a diagnosis and have our follow-up appointments with the parents, we wouldn't see them again because it was too difficult to come back and face that. And so find somebody else and go process that information as best you can. It can be hard, especially in the elementary years when you need to seek accommodations after that. There are amazing people, especially in Houston, y'all are a city full of resources. They will coach you through yes. the individualized education plan process, the 504 process. Those are the things, the IEPs and the 504. So you get all these all these had, acronyms, ADHD, ASD, <laughs> all these numbers, you get, you know, the di- the ICD-10 code, you get the IEP, the five, and oh my, Lanta. So find somebody who can maybe help you navigate that. A lot of the public schools have, it's just clockwork. I mean, they it. get the yeah. things and, and, and you do a lot of waiting and anyway, I'm Yes, I have sat in. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Well, I was just thinking everything you're saying is so important because there are so many pieces of it that I think and that and that's definitely something that I feel like is a huge part of the healing process. Once you feel scared or worried about Mm -hmm. your child is like, yes, there was a long road to get to that diagnosis in the first place. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you know, and you're also navigating your ch- not only your emotions but your child's emotions around that formal evaluation and what that feels like like i am still continue to be a very like i'm going to wear bright colors cuz that's how i feel um mm-hmm. like my baseline for happiness is very high and i remember in second grade wearing black all week the week i had to get all the testing because i was like i'm yeah. going to show you i'm mad you know, mm-hmm. and so you're as a parent, not only navigating your own emotions around the process, but also your child's. And that can feel mm-hmm. really hard, especially when some of those behaviors that are coming up with those diagnoses are difficult to manage. You know, so that's mm-hmm. something that I think is really huge too. And then, like what you were saying about, I mean, part of my job, I used to be a administrator at a school, and a big part of my job was sitting in every single a special education meeting and every 504 meeting mm-hmm. and sitting with parents. And I worked at a high school sitting with parents who were still navigating that process. You know, say their kid got a diagnosis in first grade. Well, those evaluations happen again every year. And those meetings happen twice a year for every family. And so mm-hmm. it is a long road, you know, knowing that and hearing that how do you feel like you can work with families to understand, you know, what they're kind of up against and how do you feel like you can help guide them not only through that process, which like you said, we do have a lot of resources here and a lot of school districts, you know, they are a working machine in that area. Like they, they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They can, they can, they handle a lot of kids and a lot of process for that. But like, how do you feel like you can help families heal and understand or manage that label once their kid gets that label. Yeah. So I think that's a big roadblock for parents, right? We're talking about a road a lot. And I think a diagnosis is a roadmap. I love, and you know, I, I just went back and reread this post that I wrote, um, not like a while ago now, but talking about a diagnosis can feel really scary. We don't want to label our children. We don't want them to have an excuse, but I want 
a diagnosis to be that roadmap and that, yeah, it's a long road, but we've got the map and we have to evaluate every few years because as they grow and develop, things change and we need those accommodations to be relevant. Helping parents with, and it's something that you just said about how, you know, talking with the child has to go through all this too. You know, they've got to take the test. They've got to sit with a stranger or someone they haven't really met before and do all this work. That's weird. And it's like not straightforward questioning. Yeah. Like like, why am I putting these patterns together and how does that tell you anything about my personality? And the vibe tends to be like, there's something wrong and these people are watching me. It's weird. And so I want to help parents communicate with the child about why we're doing these things and what it means and giving them the information in a way that's developmentally appropriate. You're going to talk to your second grader differently about ADHD than you are your 15 year old. Um, And so, and I'll let you do the 15 year old. I'll talk with the 10 and under (laughs) um, and how to explain to them like, Hey, take a look. You are a good kid. You are a smart kid. Your brain works a little differently. This test is to help us figure out how you learn. And this is awesome. We get to go do that. We're going to figure out how you learn so that school can feel easier. I think we get so scared about the label and like, oh, life's going to be so hard. But hey, if we don't have the label, it's definitely going to be hard. If we don't, right. if you know, if you feel like something's up and we don't approach it and we just pretend like it's going to go away, not going to happen. It's going to get worse, right? And I think for parents, there's so much fear of like, I don't want life to be that difficult for my child. I don't, you know, it's scary. Like, oh God, you have ADHD. Like life's going to be so hard. Well, life's hard anyway. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to get through it. It'll be fine. Yeah. We're all going to be okay. You know, you're going to have, maybe you are just a typical learner and you have a bad teacher one year that you just don't connect with or that your parents don't connect with. Like there's going to be something. Yes. There are roadblocks for all kids. There are roadblocks for all kids unavoidable challenges of life. And what a gift, you know, when we just learn to get through those things, but so it's not going to go away. So I do encourage parents, like if you have an inkling, if you have a worry, call, call me, call your pediatrician, call pediatricians usually have a great referral, especially in Houston. They know what they tend to know what they're doing. Call your, ask your child's teacher, ask the administrators at the school. You have a lot of resources Again, especially in Houston. Yes. <laughs> Can you tell? I yeah. know the resources in Houston. <laughs> no, but it's just different. A lot of people in Midland have to go to Lubbock, Fort Worth, Dallas, and those places right. are not close. Right. Uh, and so Houston, you you know, take advantage of that. It's expensive. I mean, people have an hourly rate, and we're professionals, and we work by the hour. And but we love you. We want to help you. We want you know. T- most of us tend to be very caring and nurturing people, and not you know, gouging you for your cash. We want to and help. And I think to touch on that too, just if you don't have the resource to pay for something, you know, NSCC does have a sliding scale. We can support right. in that That's way. Right. And a lot of places mm-hmm. do, like you said, in Houston, there are so many resources. And if your kid goes to school, mm-hmm. it is a requirement legally for the school to support them. So obviously right. there's a lot of things that are still going to cost money outside of school. But Mm -hmm. public school systems are built currently with, you know, these things in place to support your kid once you have a diagnosis. So knowing that, Mm -hmm. you know, that long term, I will say, like, we're not always the best at it. And every public school, that is just the reality of it. But you can get support in a public school system for Mm -hmm. most mental health diagnoses for your kiddos. So knowing that it is 
it is not the easiest road and it's definitely not necessarily always the most accurate or fast. Um, but you know, it is able and it is a possibility, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. or not. No, absolutely. And I think, I mean, the schools are required to accommodate and they have, there's a school psychologist that's either, if you're lucky, there's one, one at your school <laughs> dedicated to your school. It, I mean, in most places, they tend to have three or four schools that they rotate around right. and they just kind of oversee. There's usually speech and language pathologists. There are reading specialists. Yeah. Public schools have it all. And I was thinking, as I was thinking about this, you know, I've dealt a lot with more private school and because, because every, every, my counseling experience has been private pay, private practice. And right. so we tend to see, well, we see a lot of public school kids, but dealing with a lot with the private schools and going and me being able to go into a private school because the private school can allow outside counselors and people in versus the public school, which has their people and they like to kind of do it under their yes. own umbrella. So going in and, and seeing that, that, so private schools typically have support systems or they will let outside supports come into the school and public school it can be tricky because you do have more students per classroom. So right. say that third grade teacher's got 27 kids in her class and the four of them have ADHD and two of them have anxiety and one's on the spectrum. And, you know, they yeah. have a lot of 504s in, in the individualized education plans to follow. And so I would just encourage parents to check in at the first of every month and just shoot an email. Hey, how's the month going? Just to, so that way you're not just putting it all on the teacher. Yes. The teacher hopefully is organized, but but at the same time, they are human beings and it's really hard to teach all those kids. Yeah, <laughs> so it really is. Just, if you just build it into your schedule that once a month, I just fire off the email. It keeps that those accommodations kind of on top of the teacher. You're not waiting to get frustrated and then reaching out and then not getting heard. But if you just build it into your relationship with that teacher, I think that that can be really helpful just so nobody's tensions rise, the teacher will not think that you're being annoying. You will not have to feel like you're being a squeaky wheel, but squeaky wheel gets the grease. We got to support our kids. We have to be their advocate. We're the only one that will do that for them as the parent. Um, Yes. Yes. I mean, and you know, that, that goes like plays exactly into what I was going to ask about next, because I do think that you know, especially with our littles, they get these diagnoses. And then as parents, we're kind of like, well, now what do we do? And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, you're navigating your own, maybe your view of how they were going to grow up and their view of what school would be. And you're potentially grieving this experience of something that you might have connected with your kid on. And like, I remember my mom, who is a avid reader and wonderful mother. Like I remember her saying, oh, we're never going to really talk about books because I hated Mm -hmm. reading when I was younger because dyslexia makes reading feel harder. Mm -hmm. Right. And I remember thinking like, well, that's not my fault. Like as a kid, (laughs) and I remember her thinking like, it's not my fault either, (laughs) you know? And, and, and I think that in itself is something that at that point, it's like, yeah, she was grieving that experience that she was going to wanted to like love with her, one of her daughters, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it is a hard experience to know, okay, this isn't what I thought it would be like to have my, my kids have the exact same path I had. And I think that happens regardless of a diagnosis or not, right? Like as a parent, you're like, oh, I thought you were going to be a ballerina because I was a ballerina. And they're like, nope, 
I'm going to play softball or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. No, I was going to say it could even be something as simple as like fashion. Like, you know, I like clothes and stuff, but like my daughter, like she is two and a half and she is dressed up. She's, <laughs> that's just, you know, we're not really going to connect on that. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, it, there is, to, I wrote this down, like emotions around you either, you can feel relieved, you can feel grief, you can feel overwhelmed because you feel all of that. You know, there's, it's like, I heard this analogy years ago and I might butcher it, but it's like packing for a trip to the beach, but ending up in the mountains, you know, it's like, you have to, you can either complain and fuss and keep trying to like wear your bathing suits in, in the snow <laughs> or you can make it work and right. and figure out a way to be comfortable in the mountains. And so that's what we kind of have to do when this happens with our kids. And if it's managing your own expectations and it's, it's, it's really hard. And I think for parents, there's a lot we have to look at in ourselves. Right. And that is, is a challenge. And many people don't want to do that because it's scary and uncomfortable and, but that's where a lot of the good work needs to take place because be there for our kid. We have to be the mature one. We have to say, okay, this isn't what I expected, but we're going to make the most of it. Right. And we have to, that's life. And our kids didn't do anything wrong. You, and then the guilt, it's like, well, God, I ate that turkey sandwich when I was pregnant. You know, you know, no, it's <laughs> there's nothing you've done right. to create this, you know, a lot, especially around like anxiety and stuff. It's like, well, what did I do wrong? It's nothing. Yeah. Our brains are just made this way and we're yes. going to figure out how to navigate life that way. Well, and I love what you just said because I feel like, you know, so often I I feel like when I'm talking to parents and doing that psychoeducation piece of working with a family after, you know, while or not after, but while working with their kid, there's so much of trying to explain to them like and explaining to especially an older kid when they're experiencing anxiety or extreme depression or suicidal ideation, you know, talking to the kid and saying, like a lot of times I've had kids say to me in that moment, they're admitting for the first time, hey, I'm experiencing suicidal ideation, but nothing's happened to me. Like kids say that a lot. Nothing's happened to me. I don't know why. Like, why am I thinking like this when nothing's happened? I have a good life. And the parents feel the same way. Like, what do we do or, you know, and so often I, I just have to explain to them, like, this is their brain. This is chemistry. There is mm-hmm. nothing past, you know, sometimes there is, and don't get me wrong. Like, of course, of course. Some, yeah. some experiences there are, but sometimes it is truly just what's going on in their brain and, and nothing had to happen for them to be experiencing that thing. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the same thing as an adult, you know, I have anxiety and my husband does not, and he just, <laughs> it's so funny. And I can, I can say it's funny because I've done the work, you know, or he's currently <laughs> always doing work. but it, it's like, it's trying to explain to him what my brain is doing. And he's like, what do you have to worry about? I'm like everything. everything. <laughs> and, it's not, and it's like, it's not like it, it, and it's just not the way it is. It's not like, well, this was challenging or this is something I'm thinking about. Like I'm just perseverating on the fact that three years ago I said blank, blank, blank to so-and-so. And he's like, yeah, and I haven't why? done it. Why? Yeah. And I hadn't done it or this is the conversation I'm making up in my head and he just doesn't understand. And so it's really teaching kind of a, a way to communicate with each other and yes. a new way to communicate. And again, all of that's that psychoeducation and understanding, like, especially the teenage brain, it gets so complicated because they do a full rewiring of the brain when they hit right. puberty. And that right. is wild. And that is wild. understand that now. 
yes. we can see that for what it what it is. And if we can teach our children that, if we can teach like, hey, listen, what you're going through is normal. It is it is okay. You know, I think that's such a relief because a lot of kids may be having these ideations and they're terrified of them. Right. And then they're impulsive teenagers and they have, and heaven forbid, they have these moments. And so we need to be able to communicate with our kids from day one. Again, going back to why I started taking break tots, I want to build strong parent child relationships in the early years. We have to build it from the foundation so that when they are in high school, when they are young adults, when things actually get hard in life, you know, when it's not just about your sibling stealing your baseball cards <laughs> or whatever, you know, they know how to handle it and, and they have a strong relationship with their parents. They can go to their parent for support. When we use those punitive and fear-based discipline strategies, it's just damaging relationship. And so, of course, when, you know, your child acts impulsively or takes his brother's baseball cards and you punish why am I going to trust you with my problems? I took the baseball cards because I had this brilliant idea to make a, a special thing for my brother. You know, we've misunderstood what the whole thing. And so the child feels misunderstood and disconnected. Yes. So then they turn 13, 14. They're not going to tell you anything to you for help. All of a right. sudden, they're not going to just be your best friend. So we have to start from day one and, you know, diagnosis or not, kids are going to face their challenges And I think for parents to just take that big breath and like, this is where we are. Okay. Yes. And I think too, you know, if you're a parent and you're listening and you're thinking, oh no, I have a 14 year old and I didn't do that. And I did discipline and I bullied my kid. Great, you know, great point to address. You that. know, yeah. hearing hearing that, and I feel like I don't want you to be like, "Well, it's over." You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I did, I messed it up. So it's you know, yeah. There's so much we can come back from on building relationships, and also that's when it's okay to take that deep breath and say, "Okay, maybe I didn't do those things when they were two or three or four or in second grade." But now I can acknowledge, hey, you know what? I I do know that my kid is really close to their coach. I do know that they're really close to their godmother. I do, you know, mm-hmm. kids have this amazing ability to find safe adults for them. So mm-hmm. they find trusted adults and hopefully those people are in your village, mm-hmm. but they might not be. Yeah. And just asking yeah. them, you know, who is or taking them to a therapist, right? Who is your safe adult? Who is that safe grown up for you? And so a question I have kind of around that for you is how do we help parents find those other safe adults or the that village, that system, other family members, schools, coaches, whoever, and, and share a diagnosis with them of our mm-hmm. kids so that they can help serve our kids better from the get, you know, hey, right. we know we've received this diagnosis. We want our kid to still be able to play baseball and do great things and thrive or whatever. I don't know why we keep coming back to baseball, <laughs> but yeah. you know, this happens. <laughs> yeah. How, how would you recommend, you know, the parents start building that village early and sharing with their friends and family members about a diagnosis that they're experiencing in their home? Yeah. I love that question. And and I want to go back to what you said too. Like, yes, if you have older kids and you're like, oh gosh, I've spanked them their whole lives or whatever, and or time out it or whatever. And I don't want any, there is nothing we can't come back from as humans. We That's are right. adaptable, resilient um, relationships can ebb and flow. I mean, absolutely. But if you're listening to this, you're likely to be inclined to do something to yes. change or, or, you know, you're open to like the idea of, of 
this uh, counseling and education <laughs> and all this stuff. And so take some time and ask for help. I'm happy to help with all of that. Yeah. There's nothing we can't come back from. There is nothing, no damage we've done. There's nothing right. as parents we can do. I mean, obviously there's horrendous things that we can do, but we won't not, if you're listening to this, you're probably not. Um, right. Right. Know, it's just relationship and development is not a linear experience. What our past does not have to always dictate our future. We can come back from horrible Yes. experience, you know, yes. and live happy, healthy lives, but it just is going to take work. So please, yeah, I don't want anybody to feel like, well, gosh, I screwed up. Nope. <laughs> no such thing as screwing up unless you just give up. I mean, right? Yeah. Like quitting is, quitting yes. is, anyway. So right, when you do have important. a diagnosis and when you want to share it with certain people in your life, like I am all about sharing it, but let's, let's check in with the child. Like here's yeah, what we've learned yes. about you and here's what we've learned about how your brain operate. There are some adults I think that need to know that. Um, would you like to tell coach so-and-so with me, or would you like me to give him a call on my own? You know, really getting their assent in the situation. The parents are always, when you work with children, consent comes from the parent, but assent comes from the child. Like the parent can take you to therapy and sign all the forms, but the child should be an active and educated participant. Like, okay, so we've got ADHD and that means, you know, whatever, if you have combo or inattentive or hyperactive, let's say that it's inattentive type. So you have ADHD. And that means for you that sometimes your brain wanders off and you start thinking about something else and you need help coming back to the topic. So we need to tell coach so-and-so, or we need to tell your dance teacher if they notice that you're not quite paying (laughs) attention, that they can say, take a look. I mean, to take a look and get, and I want to give them some tools to help redirect you that feel good to you and keep you from getting in trouble because we don't want coach to just think you're not paying attention because you're not your brain's just doing something different and we need to help it get back on track so talking with the child about doing that and then I would go to the coach and say hey take a look we've just got this ADHD diagnosis when you notice he's wandering off if you could our taglines are take a look Andy take a look Max I mean to take a look um or whatever other phrases and and tools you might want for for them. Um, No, and I think that what you just said is so important about getting the child's, you know, getting their opinion on how they want things to be communicated mm -hmm. about them, right? I think that Mm -hmm. like like it can feel really personal to you if this is happening to your child, it obviously feels personal to your child because Mm -hmm. a lot of the times they are thinking, oh, well, my my brain works different and different can feel bad. I think in Mm -hmm. general, we need to normalize the idea of like different is not bad. Different is totally fine. Um, But I love the idea of asking the child and inviting them to be a part of that experience because it is happening to them. And a lot of those times they're with those adults and those adults are becoming their safe adults outside of their family, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, well, I'm going to school. My mom's not at school with me. I'm going Mm -hmm. to baseball. My mom's not at baseball with me. I think that's huge. The other thing I wanted to touch on, and then, and I know that this can feel really tricky, but thinking about when maybe we're sharing with our parents or the kids' grandparents, mm-hmm. and we're saying, hey, you know, just so you know, Bobby was diagnosed with ADHD, and then grandpa says to Bobby and to you, no, he's just a little boy. He's fine. Right. What do we do from there? Like, yeah. Work, work through that. You know, I think that that, that can be feel really hard. 
Oh yeah. And it's so individualized. And so again, that's what I kind of coach parents with. It's like, it all depends on like, well, how much involvement do your kids' grandparents have? Right. Like, are they there? You see them on the holidays and it's not that often throughout the year, or are they like your babysitters every afternoon? Or are they ever there over there every weekend? You know, what's, what's the family dynamic like? Because you're going to have to have harder conversations depending on yes. the, the length of time you'll spend together. So if it's a couple, I mean, I write off a lot because we don't see <laughs> family that often. Now, you know, it's fine. Things they say and do, it's different. We, we don't want to be, we don't want to damage those relationships by being cranky pants about, you know, right. things that we can't change our parents, you know, we, yeah. they're, they're, <laughs> anyway, they are who they are. However, if the, if the grandparent is super involved in the child's life, we're going to have to have a sit down, talk about, take a look. I know maybe you don't understand or this is confusing or you just want it to be easy for him. Trust me. I get that. However, this is where we are. And these are the things that we need to do to support him. So I need your help doing that. Or, you know, we're going to have to set some boundaries, you know, and so we, and we, and we don't need to do that aggressively. I feel like what I said was like, like so firm, but like, all you have to do is I need your help in supporting him to be yes. successful because we have learned this about him and we can't unlearn that and we can't make it go away by pretending it doesn't exist. And so I need your help. Right. Um, and, and, I and, think, that, and that I think goes a long way with, with our parent generation, right? It's like, I need your help. And and that feels better than like, you need to do it like this or you're out, you know, it's not <laughs> the way you say it will matter. Yes. Sure. Well, and I think it's something that I feel like when I'm working with grandparents, and parents of kids that I'm working with, I feel like so often something that I feel like really clicks is saying, hey, in this moment, you need to support your kid. And what your kid needs is your support supporting their kid. And so mm-hmm. they need you to just help follow the directions that they're, they have been given to best guide or serve their own child, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I always say like, take care of your kid first and yeah. then help support, you know, help support Perfect. them in that. So I think that that's exactly huge. right. Man, well, I, I think like... it all comes from, I know we could keep talking forever, I know. but I think with the grandparent, it does come from that place of like, I just don't want it to be true. I just don't want it to be yes. because it's hard. Um, one thing I do want to say, I know we probably need to wrap up, but about the label and about, you know, communicating with people and telling it, it communicating with the child about how they'd like to share that is such a great way to teach them to advocate for themselves eventually. Because if we do have that ADHD diagnosis at seven or eight years old, they need grownups to help them for a while longer. But when they get to be 14, 15, they need to also be able to say, I need extra time on the test or because the teacher parents want to give them a little bit more independence. And so I think a great fear is of that label and that it will be an excuse for the child to just get away with things or right. not have to work as hard or explain it away. But it all depends on how the grownups in the child's life act around it. So we can act like, oh yeah, you just, oh, you have ADHD. Just don't even do it. You know, no, we're not going to do that. You have ADHD. It may take us a little more time. I'm here to help you. Let's do it. Or let's yes. tell coach, this is what you need help with. And so then the child's learning these taglines and these calls for attention that they don't have to do themselves right away, but they're going to store those away for when it is time for them to take on that responsibility and be more independent. So there's a lot, a lot around this and it's a complicated process and it doesn't have to be an excuse or a label. Yeah. You don't have to share it with anybody if you don't want to, but I would share it with this. We got to tell teachers, you don't have to tell the bus driver, you know, you don't have, or 
I guess maybe the school bus driver could know, but whatever. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking more in terms of like the random bus driver right. on the metro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't have to tell everybody, you know? Well, yeah. And I think what you just said is so important too. I mean, like you said, we could go around and around because I I feel like there's just so much to be said about this. And, and you know, we have this wonderful, you know, you and I both love working with kids and love supporting families and making sure that they can support their kids so that the kid can grow up and feel like they are a contributing member of society and that that label doesn't block them from that, right? Like, I think mm-hmm. that that's the the goal, the end goal, right, is to make sure that our kids are able to get past a label, quote unquote, or get past a diagnosis and just continue. You know, I, I get so frustrated when I hear adults be like, well, I have ADHD, so I can't do that. Or I'm OCD, so this is like how I exist. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well... Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. we we do want to accommodate you and what you need. And like, let's make sure that you can do that on your own. And that's a big part of starting to talk about this stuff really young with our families and our kids. And I mean, yeah. I just feel like the world would be better if there was a million Amandas, because I feel like you're <laughs> okay. so full of knowledge. That's sweet. And I'm so thankful for you. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's person first. So it's, it's a child with autism. It's a child with ADHD. It's not the whole being. It's just one small part. And yes. exactly, let's not make it the defining factor. So it's that person's first language is so important and will guide them through life. So Absolutely. yeah, well, this is so fun. I mean, I, I know. could just chit chat all day long and uh, we would solve all the world's problems <laughs> and everybody would be happy. And- I know it would be so fun. Okay. So we're going to yeah. do our rapid fire five. Are you yeah, ready for my those? Little, my, my little Brene Brown over there. Like, I know. Yeah. It's so fun. Well, and, and you know, it's so funny when we do this. I'm always like, oh my gosh, I need to write. I'm like, I'm going to have to read a million books this summer after we finish with the podcast because all these suggestions are so good. Okay. So our first question is healing is. Healing is never ending. Yes. Love that. If you could read one book on repeat, it would be. Harry Potter. Yes, that's such a good answer. Oh my God. I have to ask you the audiobook. It's so lovely. No, yes, amazing. Okay, what house would you do you think you would be in? Oh, totally Gryffindor. Oh, duh. Just okay. Typical. Right, same, same, same. <laughs> I love it. Okay. The best version of self-care for you personally is alone time in my own home. Ooh. I have to be in my own space. I love <laughs> Which that. Hard to come by. But, um, <laughs> I was like, that's so hard yeah. as a mom with a husband and a dog and all the things. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. rough, but mm-hmm. you've got this girl. Okay. Yeah. What's one thing you are proud of? Um, gosh, I'm proud of, this might sound weird. I'm proud of who I am. I had, I've had a lifetime of like low self-esteem and low, I don't know, but I just feel so confident in who I am these days. I think becoming a mom has helped me with that so much. And just being an adult, you know, it's not so scary. It's pretty fun. And I like, I think it's the age I'm, I am. Anyway, proud of myself. <laughs> I guess. Yes. It's just cheesy. Probably oh not gosh. the answer people should say, but whatever. I have to totally <laughs> share this with you because I, Amanda is a couple of years older than me and we went to the same high school and I told my husband this morning, I was like, she was just like that older girl I wanted to be when I grew up. So it's so oh, funny that I'm like, that's, that's funny that you, you think that. You never know what I wanted... going through. I know. Yes. I know. Um, okay. The last thing is one thing you are deeply grateful for. 
my my family right now, my kids. We talked a little bit. This is a tough week after the Nashville school shooting, and um, I just have been holding my baby so tight, and I'm just so grateful for them, and I do not take them for granted, and I try not to sweat the small stuff so much. So yeah. grateful for for those gifts. Oh, yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. Well, I have just loved talking to you. And like we've said a million times, we could talk for hours, but I do want to make sure how can people get in contact with you if they want to, and how can they connect with Take a Break Talks? Yes. So I have a website. It's takeabreaktalks.com. I have my Instagram at takeabreaktalks. You can email me, amanda at takeabreaktalks.com taking a little social media hiatus, just giving a little space between that. So please email me. I love to help support families from afar. We can do Zooms um, or meet in person here in Midland, but I'm still working and helping people with that psychoeducation. So yes, yes. Well, <laughs> Amanda, anytime. thank you so much for being here. It was so much fun talking to you. And, um, you know, she's doing amazing work in Midland and in Houston and obviously doing Zoom and everywhere. So um, if you can connect with her, I, I really encourage you to do that, especially if this is a topic that's near and dear to you and your family. So thank you so much for being here today. And I hope yeah. you have a wonderful day. You too. Thanks for having me. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Anna. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help us reach more listeners, please share it with someone you know, post about it on social media, and leave a rating or a review. To see what's coming next, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Nick Finn Council or visit our website at finnegancounseling.org. Before I go, I'd also like to thank the people who made this project possible. My wonderful friends and guest experts who joined me each episode our production team at Three Wire Creative, our editor, Giselle Dixon, and the amazing leadership team and supporters at Nick Finnegan Counseling Center in Houston, Texas. Until next time.